feet and a light unto his path. How important it is in the days we're living in, Lord, to have your word uh, to instruct us, to guide us, Lord, as the days get darker and things get more evil and deceptive. God, we need your word. We want to hold on to it. We don't want to just know your word. Uh, we want to walk in your word. We want to do your word. I pray the instruction from your word this morning as we glean from the life uh, of uh, a family, a, a mom, that just raised her son and in a godly way, a godly fashion. We see the fruit of that, Lord, and, and we're all uh, examples here in a way. We all have the, the chance, the opportunity as a mom, as a dad, um, as uh, a grandma, a grandpa. In some way, we're influencing people, influencing young people, God. I pray that we'd have the right impact, that we'd be good examples, Lord. We just lift up this morning to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. So we looked at last week, Hannah, her family. Hannah's barren. She is, uh, doesn't have any children, and she's waiting. She's being tormented by her adversary, Penaniah, who's also the second wife of uh, her husband. And it's, it's bad. And, but in the process of time, God uses that trial of time uh, to do something in her heart because she wants a son for herself, to take away the shame, the reproach. She wants a son to present to her husband, Elkanah. And God wants much more than that. And sometimes God uses time. He uses circumstances. He uses the tribulations we go through, the different things in our life. Uh, and, and while we wait to shape us, to mold us, to maybe appreciate, I know Hannah appreciated this young man as she's raising him, right, as a gift from God. So she maybe raises them a little bit differently than, than if she would have just had a son, right? So she wants a son to take the shame away. God wants a prophet for the nation, someone to deliver his people. It says this in verse 27 of chapter 1, For this child I have prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition, which I have asked, asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there, right? And, and so we're going to look at Hannah's, it's her, her prayer, the beginning of chapter 2, but it's also a song. And then beyond that, we're going to see the contrast of a, uh, this godly woman who raises her son with an expiration date and a man, a priest, who knew everything there was to know about the Lord, but he raised his son the wrong, his sons the wrong way. He never restrained them, never corrected them. He was all talk and no action. And we're going to see the difference here as we, as we move along through this chapter. We're going to tackle this chapter this morning. So it says, Hannah prayed. And it's actually a song. If you've ever, you know... You know, you wake up in the morning, maybe you've never done this, but I've, I've got up tons of times, woke up in the morning, and there's a song on my heart and my mind and that I'm just singing, right? And, and just something new, something different. You know, sometimes I've even, you know, I've been in the car driving like, oh, this might be a cool song that, I, that I'm aware of. No, it's probably not a good song. This is just for me to you, Lord. And, and, you know, but if you've ever had that, you know, the scripture's just rolling through your mind and thinking, man, this would make a good song. And then you realize it was probably one that was already made by someone else. And you're just singing it. But she's praying. She's actually singing here. 
And it says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn, you know, my strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She's, she's come to the point, this life can be tough. She's come to the point where she's not rejoicing in her circumstances. Sometimes we live our lives based on circumstance to circumstance to circumstance, right? You know, our, the bills are paid, uh, vacations next week, we're heading down to Myrtle Beach or whatever it is, and, and the car's running, and everything's fine. And the car breaks down, you know, this unexpected bill comes in, whatever happens, and, and man, we're, we're like, oh, what is going on? It, things can be hard. And she's learned to just rejoice in the Lord and to rejoice in salvation and what she has in him. Because this life, this world, isn't going to be the best circumstances all the time. You're not going to have it. It's not going to be perfect and easy every single day. It's just not. Right? And she's learned to rejoice in the Lord. You know, Joseph 20, Abraham 25, Moses 40. And that's not their ages, and that's not minutes. That's years. Those are years that those guys waited for God's promise. They held on to the word of God so they could walk through this life. And that's what we have to do in this life. We, you know, you're not going to hold on to, hopefully my car doesn't break down. Hopefully gas prices will go down. Hopefully I'll get a raise. Hopefully I won't get sick. Right? The way to get through this life is to hold on to God's word and his promises and the truth of the word of God and who you are. To Jesus Christ. Because gas prices aren't going to come down, probably. You may not get a raise. Your health might not be perfect. But the thing that never changes is God's word. It's a foundation. It's sure and true. And you can hold on to it. And so she's learning to just hold on to that. My heart rejoices. This is after she just drops her son off at the temple. Right? That she's prayed for. And she says, you know what? My heart rejoices in you, God. I was reminded this week, and I'll just turn there, and in my devotions, uh, I have a couple of John Corson devotionals. He's a pastor. And he and he's go, it just goes through the Bible, and his, he's going through Genesis in one of them right now, and, and was reminded because sometimes our joy can be based on bad decisions. Uh, making the wrong decisions, our joy, our peace. We can become depressed, discouraged, because we make the wrong choices. It says this. The sacrifice that God required for Cain and Abel was a blood sacrifice. And here's what happened. If you read, read, I'll just read it to you in chapter 4 of Genesis. It says, Adam and Eve... Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time her bro his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering, his offering, the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn born of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he didn't respect Cain and his offering and it says this, Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. The hinge on 
Cain's countenance falling and becoming angry wasn't based on anything but poor decisions and wrong choices. And sometimes that, that's us in this life. We wonder why we're depressed or discouraged and we want therapy or counseling or medication or something. But sometimes we just have to think back on the fact, what was our last choice? What kind of choices are we making in this life? Are they right or wrong? Are they good or bad? Are they sinful? Are they God-honoring? Because Cain and his choices were not God-honoring. They were sinful choices, and it affected how he thought. It affected his life, his mood, his countenance. People could see it on him. Something wrong, Cain. And so, very important for us. Sometimes we're trying to put our finger on, why am I so depressed? Why am I so discouraged? Why am I so down? You might want to back up and say, what are your choices in life? What are you doing? How are you living? Right? Because it affects us. It can affect us. So she prays, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. And then she says this, I smile at my enemies. Right? I, I smile at my enemies. Do you think it's a prideful smirk? Do you think it's like, ha too bad. You know, finally, you know, she's probably talking about Penaniah, the, the other wife, who's been tormenting her, probably saying, you know, I can have kids, you can't. It's not a problem with Elkanah. We're having children, right? And tormenting her all the time. And then she says she smiles at her enemies. Like, is she tormenting? Saying, look at me, too bad. Not only does he love me first, love me more, but now I've got children. I doubt it. I doubt it. I think that uh, when you're in tune with the Spirit, it's hard to not want to do what the Bible says. Right? You need to be in tune with the Spirit. What does the Bible talk about? Are we supposed to like, be prideful? Are we supposed to uh, act that way towards our enemies? You guys don't have to turn there, but I think it's important. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, it says this. Jesus says this. The Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said. And you might be hearing this from people. People might be telling you, yeah, you've got to retaliate. Yeah, you've got to keep a grudge. Let them know how you feel, man. Just don't, don't talk to them. Quit talking to that person. You should rub it in now. Look at what happened to you. Make them feel bad. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right? Somebody does something to you, you need to retaliate. You need to take action. You need to get them back. You've heard that. He says, but I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn unto him also the other. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels to go a mile, go with him too. Give unto him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away. You've also heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you might be the son 
of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? If you greet your brethren only, what do you more than any others? Don't the tax collectors do that? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus said, you've heard these things. You've heard that. It's common. We tell each other that. Oh, man, we get so angry when somebody does something. We want to retaliate and get them back, and we want to get them back worse than they got you, if you're anything like me. Uh, you, you can't let them have the last word or the last say or the last whatever. We can be that way. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't act that way. Right? So I doubt she's smiling at Penaniah saying, ha ha, too bad. Right? She can actually be at peace with this woman, probably, somehow. She can probably be at peace at home or wherever it is. Instead of at war. And then he says this. No one, she says this, no one is holy like the Lord. There's none beside you, there, there, nor is there any rock like our God. There's none like you, Lord. I remember so many times, and I, I, I've told Jeff this before, I, I, being on the mission field and thinking, man, what would Jeff do right now? How would he respond? How would he, you know, whether it was teaching or whatever I was doing, uh, I would think, man, what would Jeff do right now, right? Because I've, uh, Jeff is, is, has been uh, just someone in my life that's been such a great example, and we've gone on mission trips together, and I'm always like, yes, that's what, you know, that's, that's, that's the way we got to operate. That's what we have to do. Uh, but there's a higher standard, she's saying now. There's no one like the Lord. There's a better example than just people. And people are examples, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. Uh, when you're around people, you're an example in some way. Paul told Timothy that, that you're an example. Be an example. And the higher standard is, is God's standard, who he is. We can be bad examples. I've been, you know, I, I love to cheer at our, our sports events, our basketball games here at Gilead. I'll go there. And, and somebody said they videotaped me the other day, and I was, like, cheering. And, you know, anytime, whether we did something good or they did something bad, I'd be cheering, I'd be yelling, and I'm like, oh, man. I felt a little convicted. I'm like, Lord, what am I doing? i got to calm down a little. It's like I'm becoming a bad sport, I'm, and, and, I'm, and I'm an example. Like, I'm stirring up other kids and people to, oh, God, that's right. You stink. You. I'm like, all right, calm down. What am I doing? Because right? we can be in a bad example to people. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. So every time, all the time, Jesus is our example. It's the higher standard than even our best examples around us, right? Because we sometimes can be bad. I can be a bad example to my kids, to students, to, right? Because we're still flesh, right? And then she says, talk no 
more so very proudly. Not, let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Pride is so dangerous. That's the, really the first sin. Uh, it's the sin of Lucifer was pride. I will, I will, I will. I'm going to exalt my throne. Pride is so dangerous because the Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's such a dangerous thing. And, and it can keep us from the Lord. I think one of the greatest examples in the Bible is Daniel chapter 4. If you've ever read it or know about Nebuchadnezzar, he pens this chapter himself, I believe. Uh, and it's a record of his own salvation and conversion. He has a dream like so many other times. And, and his dream is of a tree that covers the whole earth and, and fowls of the air dwell in it. Everything in the earth is fed by it. And all of a sudden, he heard a watcher. Someone comes down from heaven and says, cut down the tree. And this tree goes down, and it bothers him so bad, this vision he has. And he's, he's like, calls his magicians and, and the Chaldeans and all these guys, like, what does it mean? And they don't know, so finally he calls on Daniel again. Daniel, tell me what this means. And Daniel's like, oh, man, Nebuchadnezzar, I pray that this is towards your enemies and not you. But I want to tell you what this means. This means there's going to come a day that that's going to be your life, that you're this tree that fills the earth, and you have so much, and people come to you for food and, and safety and security, but your life is going to get cut down. But the stump is still going to be in the ground. He says, listen, I pray that you would repent, that you would change your ways. And it says like a year later, he's walking around Babylon. He says, man, this is the palace I made. This is my kingdom. What an amazing guy I am, independent from God, separate from God. Look at what I've done. And that can be our life too. Sometimes we think it, that's what pride does. Like, look at how talented I am. Look at the wealth that I can create for myself or how gifted I am writing or playing an instrument. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar, he's just like, look at what I've done. And in that very moment, it says that that's what happened to him. And God cut him down. He went out to the field and he lived as an animal until seven times passed over him. That could be seven years where he literally lived in like an animal way until his reasoning came and he realized there's somebody that's higher than him and bigger than him and literally speaks of his conversion. But pride will keep us from God in any way. Even as a believer, pride keeps you from hearing him. If you're so prideful to think, I'm going to do this my way, God. I know the Bible says maybe to do this, but you know what, I don't see how that's going to work out well for me. So I'm going to do it my own way. And she says, talk no, no more so very proudly. And let no arrogance come from your mouth. She might be talking to Penaniah. She might be talking to herself. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Right? When I read that, I thought of the woman who gave two mites in the temple. It says all these guys are coming in, and they had a tithe box like we have probably in the temple, something like that, and, and their money, monetary system, it was coins. 
And people would come in and they'd ring a bell and they'd empty their bag or their purse and it would, you'd hear all the change pouring in, these wealthy people dumping money in the tithe box. And it was a prideful thing, you know, just, wow, he must have gave. Look at how much they gave. Wow, can you imagine that? And Jesus didn't say anything about that except for in rebuke, but this woman just drops in a couple pennies, right? And he takes notice of that because she gave not out of her abundance, but out of her living. It cost her something to give. Like she's going to go without maybe some way. Well, these guys were throwing in money and it didn't affect them. They, they were still going to have everything they ever wanted. So, G, so she says, man, actions are weighed. Not only what we do, but why we're doing what we're doing. And they were doing it to be seen by other people. It was a challenge. We're giving so much. Okay, and, and, and people were doing that. And, and, but Jesus takes notice of this woman who gave so little in comparison and said, that's what matters. Right? Because God's not broke. God's not broke. But our actions are ways, are, are weighed, our motives behind what we do. Do we want someone to see us giving or serving? But then when no one's there, are we willing to clean a bathroom, fix a toilet, sweep a gym, you know, whatever it is? But all oh, the pastor comes in or the coach or the you know, a teacher, and oh, man, I'll get my kudos now. They see me, right? Jesus said, don't do your works that way to be seen of men because you'll have your reward right here. Right here. You can have your reward here, and that's fine. It's fine. Or you can send it ahead where moth and rust doesn't corrupt, where thieves can't break through and steal, right? That's what we do. And it's good that God weighs our actions, our motives, that we're convicted about why we're doing something or when we do it. It's a good thing. For by him actions are weighed. He says, she says, the bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. God is like turning the tables on people. And the hungry have ceased to hunger, and the barren has borne seven. She who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave, and he brings up. The Lord makes poor, and he makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. Amazing. A couple, uh, couple, a couple missionary trips I went on, mission trips, one to Guatemala, one to Haiti. I remember both times, and, and if I think hard enough, probably just about everywhere I went, but specifically, I remember when we pulled into Haiti and we're going from, from the airport, driving out to, to the village we were staying in, I remember, you know, you're, you're taking it all in, the smells, the sights, the everything, because it's different. And that's why we want, you know, from our school, it'd be nice. Uh, it's kind of a vision we have, a hope we have that, that students or most students would go on a mission trip so they see something other than America 
an American lifestyle, American living, American standards, all those things. So you see how most of the world is living. But I just remember driving to this, this village and looking, it's just this heap of, of garbage, just garbage. And families, little like a mom and her kids, they're holding hands, walking across the garbage, and they all have bags, and they're picking stuff up to eat, to sell, to use, to like that's what they have. Like, what hope do they have in this life, right? They don't live in America. That's the best they have it. Like, they're living near a garbage dump. Same thing happened to us in Guatemala. There was a garbage dump there, and, and this mission put its roots right down there to reach out to people because, same thing, people would go there to eat. They knew what day this chocolate factory would come and dump stuff, and, man, people would just flock to grab garbage, stuff that's thrown out. Like, that's their life. It's not going to change. There's no one. But Jesus Christ doesn't come to necessarily pull them out of the dump, right? They may not get out of the dump. They might still live in Haiti, in Guatemala, in different places in Africa, wherever it might be, these third world countries. But what he does is he saves their soul. And he takes them from this heap of ash and ruins and gives them an eternity and a hope right? Forever. Not just this life. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes to make them inherit not millions of dollars, but the throne of glory. And then he sa- she says, the pillars of the, of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then it says in verse 11, Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah. But the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Imagine the ways. I mean, this is a young boy, very young. And and how did he minister to the Lord? Super simple ways. You know, super simple things. Can you go put toilet on the toilet paper dispenser? You know, not not probably what he did, but simple things. Like when, when Lee and I are serving at the church and our family, we come up here, you know, cleaning or doing whatever, man, that's serving the Lord. We're ministering to the Lord in simple ways, right? Simple things and age-appropriate things. Like this is a little boy, a young, a young boy. So what's his responsibilities? They're probably small, but they're teaching him to serve. Super important for you and I as parents to teach our kids to serve. That's, you know, one of the last lessons, the message that Jesus wanted to get across to his disciples, the last sermon he really preaches, he's in the upper room, and he puts a a towel around his waist, and he gets a basin of water, and he washes all the disciples' feet, feet, even Judas. He says, you know what I'm doing? You see what I'm doing? He says, now I want you to go and serve other people. That's what I'm sending you out to do. You want to be a minister of the gospel? You want to be somebody for God's kingdom? Go be a servant. We should be teaching our kids to serve in simple ways, age-appropriate ways. 
right? We're still asking our kids, hey, you know, go do this. Let the dogs out or do this, right? We're teaching them. There's a, but we should be teaching our, our kids. We should be setting an example. They're not our slaves. Our kids aren't our slaves. We should be leading by example in the home. We just don't go tell them to go do this while we're sitting around watching TV, chilling. Hey, go get me something to drink, right? There's probably appropriate times for that. I've done that before. Get me an iced tea or whatever, right? But we should be leading by example. It's the most important thing you can do, teaching your kids to serve, the the importance of serving the Lord. Because what we're going to see here is Eli's sons were serving too. There's a major contrast here between Hannah's son and Eli's sons. It says, verse 12, that Eli's sons were corrupt and they didn't know the Lord. Why? Here's the reality. You can have kids that come from the best home, the, the very best home, parents that are teaching their kids the word of God. They're great examples. And there's the potential of being a prodigal. That's just the reality. Some kids might walk with the Lord, some kids might not. And then you see other kids who have come from the worst home conditions, who their parents are not saved. There's tons of trouble in their house. And man, these kids are like bright, shining stars that come out of a home, a, a, a bad home. And they're saved and they're walking with the Lord. Right? That can happen both ways. But the reality, the warning flare to us is the way Eli raised his kids. The warning that he got from people, from the Lord, that he never restrained them, that he was all talk and no action. And they, were, they were corrupt. They didn't know the Lord. And it says in the priest custom, and here's the example, and we're going to kind of move through the rest of this chapter kind of quickly. It says, in the priest's custom with the people was that they, when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling, and he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up, so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give me meat for roasting to the priest." For he will not take, it, take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. Take all you want. Then he would answer them, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So, A sin offering, that was all the Lord's. But every other offering, a peace offering, a thank offering, a fellowship offering, there was an order. They would kill the animal, make the sacrifice, drain its blood, and the first portion was to go to the Lord, right? That was often the fatty portion. It was the, the delicacy part. It would be the first part to the Lord. Then the priest was able to take a portion kind of as for his service to the Lord. He would get some. A portion of that. It was, it was the, bra- the, the breast meat. I don't know if that's a brisket. I would kind of like that. If it was the brisket or the shoulder piece, 
Uh, but then the rest of it, they, the, the guy who was offering, the family that was offering, they were to take the rest, and that was theirs for a celebration, for the sacrifice, right? They were worshiping. It was supposed to be a celebration. But what these guys did, they not only wanted their portion, but they wanted God's portion. They wanted more, and people were like so upset when they were going to the temple, like, this is ridiculous. What's going on? This isn't the way it's supposed to go. But they would just force and take from, from people. So they were doing the wrong thing. And you think, oh, maybe Eli didn't know. Maybe Eli doesn't know what his kids are doing. You know, he's old. We're going to find out he's 80 years old at this point, I believe. Uh, maybe he doesn't know what's happening. And then the contrast again. It says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman from, for the loan that was given to the Lord. And then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters and meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And, and, and I think the contrast is this woman, Hannah, how amazing she is. Never think that your effect as a mom isn't a lot. It is great. The nurturing aspect, the loving aspect that you have that, that men maybe don't have as much. Right, What you pass down to your kids, the time you get to spend with them is different than a dad probably. Uh, and, and really that's what Paul told Timothy. He says, man, Timothy, the faith you have came from your grandmother and then your mom and now down to you. The effect that a mom, a grandma has, a, a, a woman in the life of a young man. Right? It's, it's massive. And the effect that, that Hannah, probably she was at the temple... You know, she went year by year, but she probably went as much as she could go. Every year she brought him some clothes, but how often did she go? Just drop in and surprise him and say, hey, to bless him. To him. How often would you go as a mom? Right? Probably went a lot. And the influence, the impact she had, what she wanted to tell her son in that little bit of time that she had with him. What she wanted to remind him, who she was the story about his life. Imagine, Mom, tell me what my name means again. Asked of God, yeah, that's right. I remember you prayed. You prayed for how many years? Remember how mean, you know, Penaniah was to you? Man, what a, what a, what a great impact and influence. And, and so that's what she's doing. Don't underestimate the tears, the time, the energy that you pour into your kids. The strength it takes to tell them no sometimes, right? Because you have to. My kids don't get to do what other kids get to do. They just don't. Whether it's movies or hanging out with different people, they're, I'm going to say no. But what I like to tell my kids, what I enjoy and I look for opportunities is, is to say yes. Something that's safe, something that's good, something I, because I can restrict them. Not because it's just me, it's because it's what the Bible says. So sometimes I say no, and they're bummed out. Hey, my friends are doing or this is going on. So I give them the opportunity. I love to be able to say yes. I can afford it. 
or if it's something that I think, you know what, this is totally fine. Go ahead. I want to say yes. We need to look for opportunities to say yes. But she raised him with an expiration date. She knew this kid, this young man was special. That it was, this, this, this Samuel was birthed in prayer and a huge change in her own life. And it says this in verse 22. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women assembled at the door of the tabernacle. Just crazy that he's, they're taking advantage of women serving at the tabernacle. Eli was very old. He heard everything his sons did. How they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle. What, Eli? What are you doing? So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear of your, your evil dealings from all the people. Like, people are talking about it. Why are you doing this? He says, no, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. And if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede? Who's going to pray for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. Why? Because the Lord desired to kill them. Why? Because God, the Bible says, God's not always going to strive with man. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's loving. But there comes a point he realizes they're not going to change. There's, there, there's, you are not going to change. So he has to act. He has to move. He has to do something. And he desired to kill them. Seems drastic, doesn't it? But he's done striving. But in contrast, again, Samuel grew, verse 26, in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. And the man of God came to Eli. So some, some man of God comes to Eli, he's unnamed, and said to him, so this is always God's warning, and a, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. You know, so many times God speaks to Eli. Eli knows, people are telling him, and now a man of God comes. And says, thus saith the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? Did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And you honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel my people why are you honoring them more than me why are you honoring your kids more than me therefore the Lord God of Israel says I indeed I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me for forever but now the Lord says far be it from me for those who honor me I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. God wants to, he's looking to honor people who honor him. You honor his word and his will. He wants to honor you. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your family. 
He says, Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arms of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all that the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of, of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. He says, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and for a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I might eat a piece of bread. He reminds them of the separation that they were supposed to have, the how they were called out, right? And the Bible says in First John that we shouldn't love the world nor the things that are in the world because all that's in the world, the love of the Father isn't in them. Romans 12 says not to be conformed to this world. The world wants to conform us and push us in its mold. It wants us to think like it thinks, have the same moral convictions and values it has, right? And the Bible says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that bad company corrupts good morals. We need to be so careful when we're raising our kids. Have you ever been struck with the idea, I think it every once in a while, like, it actually brings me a little anxiety. Like, are you doing a good job as a dad? I look at my kids. I see them growing up. You know, Lydia's out of the house. They're getting older. I've got three graduates now. I got a Like, are you doing a good job? Are you raising your kids the right way? Are you teaching them the Bible? Are you being a good example? It literally gives me a little anxiety. Like, I don't know, just the weight of it. That their souls can hang in the balance by how I raise them and what I teach them and the example I set for them. Right? God has to infuse faith and truth, and they need to respond to that. But so much of what we do as parents matters. It matters so much. We need to be so careful. It should be a weighty matter. Sometimes as parents, we get into survival mode. Maybe we don't read to our kids enough, or we're short with them, or we get frustrated, or we're just like, I just need a little sleep. Or we just give them a, you know, here, play on their phone, or watch a movie, or, you know, and, and some of the things we're trying to watch out and be careful of become our tools of, of, uh, of helping us get some rest. And it can be dangerous. Proverbs 27, verse 23 says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Like a shepherd would know his sheep. Like a good shepherd knows, man, that one is always in trouble. This sheep, I got to keep this one away from this one. This one's a follower. This one's a leader. This one's trying to jump the fence all the time. This one's hurt. This one's, and the Bible says, I believe it would say to us that we need to know the state of our flock. How are our kids doing for real? What's really going on in their life? 
Because now's the time, the limited time you get and I get to invest in them. To see how they're doing and maybe turn them a little and point them in the right direction. Maybe correct some things in their life. So important. Super important. It's, what, it's, it's why Eli failed. Priest. Very high calling. He failed. It says in chapter 3, verse 13, that he did not restrain them. His sons made themselves vile, and he did not stop them. He was all talk. Why are you doing that? Stop doing that. But he never took action. Sometimes I think of a man named Lot. You guys know Lot, Abraham's nephew. Their herdsmen were striving together. They're fighting over territory and property, and there's no room. And finally, Abraham tells Lot, hey, look around. Pick a place. You get first choice. And Lot looks at the Jordan Valley. Gorgeous, beautiful, lush. And he thinks, that's a good place to feed my flock. That's a good place to raise a family. That's a good separation. And he heads that way. The only problem with the Jordan Valley is that's where Sodom is. He decides to head to Sodom to raise his family. And it costs him his whole family. In fact, at the end, when, they, when, when the angels were warning Lot, and Lot warned his, his kids, his family, they were laughing at him. They lost all respect for their dad. They were literally laughing at him. So bad. No matter what this world has to offer us or your kids, it's never worth the sacrifice of losing them. Never worth the sacrifice. As beautiful as it looks, I love my kids. I want to bless them. I, want to, I love taking them on vacation. I love to watch them play sports, be involved in their life. But we still need to be dads and moms. Still need to correct them. Still need to restrict some of their things. Be an example. Verse 35 says, I will raise myself up a faithful priest who will do according to what's in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house. God wants to build us a sure house. He wants your kids on a sure foundation, a rock. Jesus Christ. And you can do that teaching them, by teaching them the Bible. Being faithful, bring them to church, bring them to youth group, bring them to things to infuse the word of God into their life. Being around people who love the Lord. It's vital for their upbringing. So Lord, we thank you for your word, the power of it, the instruction we have there. Uh, thank you, Lord. Sometimes we need to see the bad to know uh, that's not the direction we want to go. And for us as parents, grandparents, people who can influence, uh, we're influencers in so many ways. Uh, I pray that you'd help us to be a good example, to make good choices ourselves, God. That, that we would teach our kids to serve and to love you and, and desire to walk with you, God. We're just so thankful for your power in our life, uh, your encouragement. We just uh, we, we ask you to, to infuse your strength into us as, uh, as 
moms and dads, as grandma and grandpas. God, we, we love you in your name.